All right, so we're talking about finding our place. This is our, our third week in this series, our second week with our groups running, discussing this. So if you haven't joined a real-life connection group, if you didn't get in on the first week, um, it's still not too late. We'll let you in. So again, you can see someone at the Next Steps desk, and they'll get you signed up. But we're discussing this. We've got some questions that relate to today's message that we'll be discussing through the week in our small groups. And I know we had a great discussion last week in our group. And uh, so you can still join that. But this series is all about understanding how we, as individuals, truly find our place by understanding how God has uniquely made us, designed us with desires, with talents, with supernatural gifts that lead us to find our perfect fit on this planet. We can find our place in this world, on this planet, by just trusting that God has made us uniquely, that he's given us special desires, special talents, and that at times he comes along and he just injects a suit, uh, uh, the, the power of his Holy Spirit and, and, and empowers us to do some really wonderful things for him as we go along. For week one, we just had a kind of an introduction where we talked about you know, if you stand in the place where your design meets your desire, you will find your uniqueness, and in your uniqueness, you will find God's place. Last week, we talked about this is your assignment. This is your mission if you choose to accept it, all right? This is, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. God has a mission for you. He's equipped you for that miss- mission. As Max Licato, author Max Licato said, your ability unveil, uh, unveils your destiny. So you can find your sweet spot Your sweet spot in life is where your everyday life, just your ordinary everyday life, overlaps with God's glory and your strengths. If you miss those two messages, uh, you can go back on our website and you can look under podcasts and you can find both those messages there and you can get all caught up if you're wanting to do that. Today we're going to talk, start talking about some specific gifts that God has given to the church. And uh, so we're going to talk about uh, what's kind of in your toolbox. Every uh, skilled trade has their own set of tools, right? If you're a, uh, if you're, uh, you know, I, I, I've been telling you about my dishwasher repair problems, and it's repaired now, but every time our dishwasher repairman came in, he came in with a specific toolkit. He had specific tools. Now, if he'd have brought a chainsaw, right, or a really big hammer, I don't think I'd let him touch my dishwasher, because that's not the right tool to work with something as delicate as your dishwasher and fixing that, right? But if, um, if I were asking someone to come and, you know, tear down my garage to build a new one, I might expect them to come with a sledgehammer because there's different tools for different jobs. And different people carry around different tools with them in order to complete what they are supposed to be doing. And it's the same way in the spirit realm and in our purpose in life. As God equips us or invites us with a special toolkit. And some of those tools are permanent. We carry with us all the time. They're the tools that we need every time we go out. And uh, those are tools that we carry with us all the time. And then there's sometimes where we have tools that are just for a special project. They're just for that special moment where we have to do something, where we need to accomplish something, and we have that tool. Um, uh, our staff and uh, the gathering staff, we, we read a book together, usually a, a book where we're learning something from, and we kind of do a book study, and we're reading one right now entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And I, I found this little quote, and I thought this really fit well with today. To be made in the image of God means that we're rife with potential. You know, the biggest thing that God gives us in our toolbox to be able to fulfill his purpose and plan for our life is he gives us his image. He puts himself into us. He has made us in his image. And that means that we all have unique and special potential because the the image of God, the spirit of God is within us and we have that uh, power to move forward into his plan and purpose for our life. Well, the Bible in the New Testament gives us three specific lists of gifts, and we're going to look at those three lists over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to look at the first list, which is the list of ministry gifts, which you find in Ephesians chapter 4, special gifts that God has given to the church in leadership in ministry. Next week, we're going to talk about the motivational gifts that we find in Romans chapter 12, and those are very general purpose gifts that are given um, widely in the, in the 
body of Christ. And then on, um, in three weeks, we're going to talk about the manifestation gifts that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are kind of the supernatural gifts that kind of come in those special times, in those special moments where God wants to speak especially or do something um, unique in a specific sp- uh, moment. Well, before we get to all that, I want to talk to uh, Norm Miner. You hear that? There's Norm. There you are. Okay, come on. Up here, Norm. Can you just grab that microphone and hop up here? Or you can come around this side. There's, a little, there's stairs on this side. Yeah, either way. I can't get up on this side. I'm too old for that now. Look at him. He's good, eh? Come on up here. All right. Hello. There you go. All right. So Norm and I had a conversation last week after the service, and I said, can you, can you just share a little bit of this with um, with the congregation next week, because this is a really good story about how God leads us into his place. So, um, by the way, it's great to have you back, Norm. We haven't seen Norm around for a long time because he's been working on Sundays, but you got a new job, and that's switched, right? Yes, that, that's correct. Um, I just want to say uh, I'm very happy and I'm very blessed to be back <laughs> <laughs> after a year and two months, but I must admit that uh, it was in God's plan. And uh, I've been blessed so in, such, in so many ways through it. And then God had showed me um, the purpose of uh, some time we're called to go. And then, I, I mean, all these messages that I've been hearing past, I mean, a couple of weeks, I could relate it so much to what I've been uh, gone through for a year. Uh, it's amazing. I don't even know where to begin. So let's begin with the fact that you were looking for work about a couple of years ago, right? Yes. I mean, about a year and a half ago, I was praying and I was, uh, I mean, sharing with my wife that the desire of being involved into homeless uh, um, situation or God, uh, I, I, have a, I have this in my heart that really I want to get involved into uh, a homeless uh, situation, you know, like... I mean, so you wanted people. to help people that were homeless. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But that's not the job you got, right? Well, then I went into many places where they, they, uh, they do things for homeless and everything, but then it, I could feel in my heart that it wasn't the place. So I said, God, uh, just like, lead me to where I'm supposed to be. So then here I am again, working into a hotel... Uh, which, by the way, I'm a maintenance uh, tech, so um, I said, okay, this is where you want me to be. Uh, this is where I'm going to be working. So you got a job. You were looking for a job to help people with in, in the area of homelessness. Yeah. That didn't work out. You got a job doing maintenance in a hotel. Exactly. That's right. But then what happened? And then after two, three weeks, uh, we got informed that uh, the hotel is turning into a full family shelter. It's okay. no longer a hotel. So the hotel went bankrupt, right? Exactly. <laughs> then I, I was like, okay, God, I see where your plan is now. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean, and then uh, a moment in fear because I got overwhelmed with what was happening. I see all those family coming in, and I said, okay, um, when we're talking about homeless in our mind was often seeing people alone into a street, sleeping in a cardboard box. And then when you walk in and you see family with kids, uh, it's really stir up your, your heart because they are homeless. And right now in Ottawa, um, so many. I'm sorry, I get a little bit... Uh, okay. There's so many young family. And I said, God, what am I going to do here? I, I, you feel hopeless. You know, like, I come to church. I'm a, I'm, I'm a greeter where I love to be. In other church, I'm known as a musician, you know, you feel hopeless in front of devil. What am I supposed to do? Like, I'm here to work. You're sending me here. I said, God, give me the tools. And this is where God showed me. You don't need to know. I will guide you. I need you. So I said, okay. 
sometime will go to work expecting to give, not knowing that God is giving you a formation. We're, we're going to work in order to receive. Mm. And I've been for a year learning because they had teach me the value of family and stir up my heart, preparing me for another, um, another adventure, I guess, because God now is sending me to um, medical f facilities for Inuit family, which is, to me, is like, I really, I really blessed with this. All I'm saying is that we praying for God to use us. When we pray, God, I want to do your, your will. I want to serve you. We have to do it unconditionally. We can't throw any condition to it. We can't. God use me unconditionally. What I also want to say is that the main reason why we don't do it is because we're afraid of our loss. We're afraid of saying, God, use me. But deep down, we're afraid of letting go of the things we might lose. Maybe our house, maybe time, maybe so many things we're afraid. I'm saying this. We need to pray for Ottawa and Ontario. We need to pray because families are in need. There is so many. They're right now, they don't have nowhere to go. Mm. Praying is one thing. But without action, we need to do it. I'm blessed to see other, other places, other church getting involved into it. Even people that don't even go to church get involved into it. I see bakery bringing ch uh, bread and leftover after their, their shift. I see pastor taking every Saturday taking those kids swimming, skating, they got involved. So I'm just saying, you want to know your gift. Sometimes we're sitting there not knowing, and God will reveal your gift if you get involved. Amen. By getting involved, automatically everything will get involved on forward. I'm a man that did so many. I've been in church for 30 years now, or maybe less, I don't know, something around there. <laughs> and I, I've been in part of so many uh, through music, through greeting. Right now I'm a greeter. Everybody knows me as a greeter. <laughs> and the importance of being a greeter, simple, is it? Did you know that greeting is one of the most important mystery there is? Believe it or not, when you walk through the door, a newcomer come, we're setting the foundation. You know, when they come, new one. God had put in their heart to come. You look, you look at them and you say, wow, thank you, Jesus. When they come, they come with all kind of fear, all kind of question. Before they reach the door, they're saying, oh my God, like, what am I, what's going to happen to me here? Like, I mean, <laughs> ah, you know, what did I do? But the first impression they get when they reach the door sets, set the foundation of what's going to happen through the message. If you have a negative input when they walk through the first door, it's going to carry them throughout the whole service. It's so important. So that's what I love being a greeter.
I just love being a greeter. Because every time someone new come, I see God's symbol, get involved. <laughs> Good job. That's all I'm saying, get involved. Prayer is not enough. Get involved. And God will reveal your ministry. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Norm. That idea of making yourself available and, you know, when it seems like, um, you know, maybe you're, you know, the door that's opening isn't the door that you were thinking it was. And I thought that was just so, so poignant in his story about, you know, taking a job at a hotel and then find out it's turned over to all homeless families. And it's just a, a, a remarkable thing. And uh, thank you for your passion, Norm. Really appreciate it. And appreciate your work as a greeter. Great, friendly face. So that's to encourage you that God has a place for you. And in your ordinary, everyday life, like we talked about last week, just by going to work, you never know how that's going to open up into um, a great opportunity for God to use you. So we're going to start today with ministry gifts. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And before we get to the list of gifts... Um, Let me take a sip of water. We're just going to take the background that that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians and kind of set the stage. He says this before he talks about these gifts that are given to the church. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. This is very important to understand because Paul, before he starts making a list, and he does this almost every time he makes a list, he kind of gives this preamble, a very similar preamble, where he says, Okay, there are many gifts, there's great diversity, but there's only one church. There's only one body. We are all united together. And he talks about that these gifts are always given on the basis of unity. There's only one body of Christ. There's only one church. We here as Parkway Church are just, we are just a part of the body of Christ. The church... um, that we are is, is we function together as one small body within the larger body. And we play our part as a unique part of the whole. Together with peace, Paul says. We don't do this in competition. We don't serve <clears throat> in strife or in some kind of uh, combat situation. We work together with all of the church in peace together, in unity together. We're working together towards one common hope for the future, Paul says. That's where we're here to work together to fulfill the work of the kingdom of God, to usher in God's perfect plan of restoration for all people and for this world and for creation. That's what our purpose is. Our purpose isn't just to, <clears throat> to be nice people, uh, not just to... to to just be generous people, those are all part of it. But our purpose is to bring the kingdom of God into the world, to the homeless people, to the people you work with, to the people in your family, to the people in your neighborhood. We are here to bring the kingdom of God. We have, we have a divine calling to bring the restoration of the peace and love of God to the world that we live in. It's a very high calling. And effort is required, Paul says, to keep this unity. Because... There are times where in our working together within the body of Christ, we don't always agree. We don't always see eye to eye. We don't always appreciate everything that everybody else is doing. We, we, we sometimes think that our way of think, seeing things is the right way of seeing things. And we forget about the diversity that is in the body of Christ. Because unity, true unity, isn't about being agreeing on everything. Paul says the unity we're looking for goes beyond agreement. It's unity in spirit. 
It's a, it's a deep sense of unity that we are all pulling together for the same purpose, for the same theme, for the same cause. And that doesn't mean we always agree. We have different perspectives on different things. But we have one purpose. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection, of his ascension. This is the story we are called to tell over and over and over again, the kingdom of God, and we stand together to do it. Paul says there's only one Lord, there's only one faith, there's only one baptism, and there's only one God who's over all. And we are all under that one God, under that one faith, under that one baptism. You know, we have, there's a lot of diversity in the church, and, and you know, we can look at the, the schisms and the splits and the, and, and the different ideas and the different doctrines that people have, but we are all one church. And... Um, <clears throat> Paul says there's not many gods, there's only one God, there's only one Lord. There's not many faiths, there's only one faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ. We may have different beliefs in how we live out that faith, and we may have different beliefs about specific doctrines, but these are not the core issues. The core issue is who is Jesus? It's his death, it's his resurrection, it's his burial, it's his, it's his, his, his ascension. All of the, the story of the gospel is not about, oh, this is what my church believes. Our, the story of the gospel is not, this is, this is my story. The story of the gospel is the good news that Jesus has come, that he broke into the world through his birth in Bethlehem, that he lived an amazing, wonderful life and left us teachings that we can live by and that we can follow, that he was crucified and died for our sins, but on the third day he rose again and he was victorious over sin and death and he ascended and he's on high and he's waiting to return and bring his kingdom to earth in fullness. That's the good news. It's not the good news of, oh, Parkway Church is here, or this church is here, or this church is there, or we believe this, or we believe that. The good news, the, the, the message we are called to bear is the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. There's not many faiths, there's only one faith, and that's Jesus. And in the same way, there's not many baptisms. Some churches baptize people in different ways. We baptize people by immersion. Uh, Easter's coming. We'll have another baptismal service in a few months, in a couple of months. And, but we baptize people by immersion. But some churches you go to, they baptize infants and they baptize, you know, <clears throat> we do different things, different ways. But there really is only one baptism and it's baptism into Jesus Christ. It all comes down to Jesus. So before Paul gets to saying, well, there's a, this variety of gifts, there's this variety of tools that God gives to the church. What he's saying is, we're, we bring our tools in our toolbox, and we come together, and we all pitch in together. You know, it's, uh, it was amazing to, uh, to see uh, the whole coronavirus is a, is a very sad thing that's happening, but can you believe that the Chinese built that huge hospital in 10 days? Like they built a hospital in 10 days. I, I don't know how they did it. I, I know a lot of it was prefab, but you know, everybody came, I would assume, with their skills, with their tools, and with their, with their, what, and did their part in, in working together. And out of that, they were able to build a 1,500 bed hospital in 10 days. Amazing. You see, when we all work together, when we all bring our tools, when we all do our part, then things happen in amazing ways. I've been reading a book by a, a sociologist uh, professor at Baylor University. His name is Rodney Stark. And he says, you know, when you, when, when you, sometimes when you read the Bible, you may think that the church grew miraculously. But he said, when you take the principle of compound interest and you apply it to how the church grew over time, it's completely natural. You know how compound interest works, right? It works because today's interest gets interest tomorrow, and it compounds. So if you, if you have a credit card and you have a debt on your credit card, that compound interest works against you all the time. Now, your, your savings account doesn't run on compound interest, <laughs> It usually runs on interest semi-annually because, you know, if it ran on compound interest, you'd get a lot more. 
because you get interest on your interest. And, 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 and really, that, if, when you take that and you apply it to how the church grew, if you look at the, the, the history of the church over time, you realize it wasn't, it's, not a, it's not a great big miracle. I mean, it is, but it's not a great big miracle when you say that this person tells this person, and now these two people tell each tell a person, and now these four people each tell a person, and these, you know, you know what I'm saying? This is compound interest. When everybody in the body of Christ does their thing and plays their part, then there is exponential growth because it's the principle of compound interest that's at work. And it's the same thing, in there. And, and, and you can put the, you can take that principle and you can apply it to almost anything, whether it's money, whether it's the church, whether it's, whether it's you know, some pyramid scheme of, of, you know, selling cleaning products or whatever. It works. But when you, and, and, and when you, when you do that, you, you take a church that begins on the day of Pentecost with 120 people, and, and then it just has this little burst where 3,000 people in that one day come to Christ. Now you've got, you've got 3,120 people that are all proclaiming the same message together. And from that little group of people, you have today billions of Christians in the world. And multiple billions of Christians that have been alive and maybe have died over when you think of the, the, the massive expanse of Christianity over time, it only it happens simply because the people within the body of Christ are doing what God has called them to do. They've taken their toolbox and they've gone to work and they've they've done the work that God has called them to do. So that's really the simply, simply what God is calling us to do. So Paul says this. He says, and he's talking specifically now about ministry gifts. This is a different group of gifts than we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And these are gifts probably more of leadership within the church. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I'll read it to you in a different translation. The purpose of the ministries of Christ is to building up of the body of Christ, And he, Christ himself, gave one, some apostles, two, some prophets, three, some evangelists, and four, some pastors, and five, some teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the purpose of the work of the ministry, for the purpose of edifying, building up the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gives gifts Five specific leadership gifts that are here. Now, there could be more. These lists aren't aren't necessarily um, uh, definitive, and they can work in many different ways. God is not limited by definitions. He is always looking at diversity. He's always using our diverse talents and gifts and personalities and all those kind of things. But when Paul looked at the church at that time, he says, I see five things that God has given, gifts of leadership that God has given to the church. He's given apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Says God has given these, why? To equip the church. Not so that they can be professionals and do all the work of the church. No, he says the, 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 the work of leadership within the church is to equip everyone to take their toolbox and do the work that God has called them to do. It's not me doing the work of the church it's not Pastor Nate and Pastor Michael and Liz and all of us who are in leadership, our board, our elder team, all of these people. It's not all of us, just, uh, it's just not just the people in leadership that are here to do the work. We're here to equip the church, everyone in the church, to do their part, to carry their toolbox into their everyday, ordinary life and serve God in whatever God calls you to do. So if you're doing maintenance work at the, at the, uh, 
at the, the hotel. You take your tools and you go and you do your work at the hotel. And voila, your hotel fills up with uh, homeless people. Now you're working with homeless people, right? You see, that's how God works. He's, he wants us to equip everyone so that whenever we find ourselves in certain circumstances, we can pull out the right tool and do the work that he's called us to do. This is how he has done. Now, in this, in this uh, concept of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, God's not, uh, Paul's not saying, okay, this is an, an, an authoritarian order of things. All right? He's saying this is, this is the gifts that God has given to the church. These, aren't, these, aren't, these are gifts of leadership, but they're not necessarily gifts of power. And it's important for us to understand that. Just because someone says, well, I'm an apostle, doesn't mean they're, you know, the, the be-all and end-all. doesn't mean they're the king of the church. Just like if someone says, well, I'm the pastor around here. I'm the one in charge, and everybody does what I say. That's not how it works. We work together. It's the same thing as Paul talks about in marriage. You know, the husband is head of the wife, and the wife is, 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 works with the husband, Paul says. But he's saying that, that, that those, those things, are, they're, they're figurative in the fact that we all submit to one another. Husbands submit to your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. And in the church, we submit to one another. We submit our gifts to one another. So I may be called to be the pastor, but I submit my gifts to the, to the rest of the people that are gifted within the church. I do my part. I do my part, but I don't, I don't run the church, if you get what I'm saying. So let's go over these, and, sit, and, and let's just understand a little bit about what these gifts are, because it's important for us to understand, if you're working within your gifting, you need to understand what other people are gifted to do, and there are gifts of leadership within the church, and it's good to see the giftings that your leaders have, or you see that God is using people in different areas of leadership with these specific gifts. So what are apostles? What are apostles? Apostles really are the first leaders. They're the, they're, they're the people that are up front they're the trailblazers. It's the job of the apostle to lay foundations. You know, uh, uh, if you follow um, Norm's definition, then the apostles here this morning were the greeters because they laid a foundation. They were the welcomers. They were the first person. So there's, a, there's an apostolic aspect to that kind of ministry. But when we understand what apostles are, we see that they are the, they're the ones that's, that, that lay the foundation, the support structure for everything else to be built on. Their, their ministry is, to, to, is a pioneering kind of work. They're, they're, they're there to clear the land. They're there to, they're, they're there to dig the hole, to, to, to lay the footings of everything that is going to be happening, to break open new territory, to plant and establish churches. The word apostle comes from uh, the Greek and can be translated, instead of using the word apostle, which is one we don't use very often, it could be, the word could be delegate, delegate or envoy or messenger or agent. The apostle is the agent that goes in and, and brokers the deal, that sets things up, that gets things going, if you get what I mean. So if you look in the, in the, in the New Testament, you see that there were 12 apostles. Jesus had 12 disciples, and, uh, and they became the first apostles, except for Judas. He wasn't an apostle, but they replaced Judas with another one. And, uh, and you know, they had a little election, and, they had, and these 12 were the trailblazers. They were the forerunners. They were the people that went in and began to teach and began to preach. Um, and Paul said that, the, or the Bible says that, or Jesus said to these apostles, he said to them before he left, he said, the Spirit would teach them so that they could teach others. He says, the Spirit will also teach them all things and remind them of everything that he has said to them. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostles were there with the others, and it was Peter as, uh, as kind of the lead apostle that got up, and he preached, and 3,000 people were saved. This was the beginning. They were the ones that went out and began. Now, we had these 12 that Jesus had, had or 11 plus 1, that Jesus had kind of established that group of people. But then all of a sudden, along comes someone named Paul. Um, and, uh, and, and he calls himself an apostle. Well, how did he get to be an apostle? Because he wasn't there with Jesus. In fact, in the beginning, he opposed Jesus. But he said, I'm an apostle because Jesus came and called me specifically. He met me on the road to Damascus. And if you read Paul's story, he was, he was arrested, as it were, by Jesus himself 
on, while he was on a mission to destroy the church. And Jesus, Jesus met with him and kind of, he had this, this experience of a blinding light and, uh, and, and so impactful that it blinded him, literally blinded his eyes. He couldn't see for days afterwards. And, and Jesus there commissioned him, said, you're, you're going against me. I want you for me. I want you working with me. And Paul calls himself, and the Bible calls him the apostle to the Gentiles. You see, all the other apostles were Jews, and they were very Jewish-focused. Paul, God called, he was a trailblazer into the Gentile community. The reason why the gospel of Christ reaches to you and to me, who those of us who are non-Jews, I don't know anybody here this morning, you may be Jewish, have Jewish roots, but most of us are probably non-Jewish. We ha- our roots go back to the Europeans or the Romans or the Greeks or somewhere there, and it's to these people that Jesus took the message, or Paul took the message, outside of the accepted community. And that's what apostles do, is they take the message into the first places, into the places where no one else has ever gone. So in modern days, who would be the apostles? Well, they'd probably be missionaries. They'd probably be missionaries that would go to, to some country where there, there, there is, uh, there, there's no message. Or they'd go, to a, they'd go to a place and they would do something very, very innovative in order to reach the people. You know, we have, uh, we have some missionaries that we support that... Um, that they're helping people start businesses that have come out of the the sex trade. So that these these women that have been in the sex trade, in order to to give them a viable life, they help them them, uh, create a business so that they they don't have to rely on selling themselves for sex anymore. They can actually do something and they create a business. That's an apostolic kind of ministry. It's out there doing something new and innovative, working within the, the context that we're in and saying, what can we do here that could really break new ground for the kingdom of God? That's what apostles do. Then there's prophets. This is probably the most misunderstood gift in the, uh, that's listed because this gift is listed in three different lists. It's, just, it's a ministry gift. It's a, um, it's a, man, it's a, uh, What's the other one? It's a manifestation gift, and it's the other list, whatever I said that was going to be next week. <laughs> I can't think of it right now. But, but there, there are prophets at different levels, and the, and the gift of prophecy works in different veins. But when he's talking about this ministry gift of the prophet, it's an office of the prophet. The prophet is a person who speaks for God who unfolds the mind of God. The apostolic voice is there and, and, and kind of brings the word out of what God is saying. The prophet uh, takes that word and he, he, he declares it in a way that is more understandable. And the prophet is probably the person, is the teacher who teaches the teachers. You know, who, 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 you know I, I could stand up here and I could just talk to you about stuff that I think I could just talk to you about stuff that I imagine. I could just, you know, open my Bible and say, I think this is what this means. But that really wouldn't have a lot of credibility. So those of us who are in ministry, we often go to teachers who teach teachers. They're professors, or they've written books, or they've, you know, they're people that have studied a little bit farther in depth, and then we bring it to you in our own way. And we don't repeat what they say, but we take it, we internalize it, we share it with you. The prophets are those who teach teachers. They, they further the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Paul says, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. So the, the prophets and apostles are those that, that are, are providing that foundation in, in inspiration and in teaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul says that their prophecies were to be tested. So just because someone says, I'm a prophet and I say this, doesn't necessarily mean you listen to them. You test them. Paul says you've got to test the word of a prophet against the, what the apostles teach. Now, what do the apostles teach? Well, we, we've come along in history, and now we have the Bible. We have the New Testament. So we take what a prophet might declare, and we compare it to what the Bible says, and we say, oh, that sounds, that sounds in line. Oh, that doesn't sound in line at all. Like, Jesus teaches this, and you teach this. Jesus teaches love your enemies, and you say, well, we hate our enemies, and we're going to kill them. 
There's a dissonance there between what the prophet says and what the teacher says, right? What Jesus says. And that's where we, we take what a prophet says and we put it against what the Bible says and what the apostles have brought to us and we compare it. And so um, this, this, uh, this ministry of the prophet is one who declares or who brings uh, forth the kind of teaching and it's not to be, not just to be thinking about future. Oftentimes we think a prophetic word is something, someone telling about the future. And that's not necessarily the case either. They are, they're bringing enlightenment to situations, to sometimes to the future, but they're not fortune tellers or future tellers in any kind of way. Then we move on to evangelists. Paul says there's apostles, there's prophets, and there's evangelists. Well, what do the evangelists do? Well, they're probably the easiest ones to define, and they have the most unique um, area of ministry, and it's very, very specific. They're the, the evangelists are the ones which build up, um, wh- by which the body is built up and it grows. Peter, when he speaks to, uh, to the, the crowd on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and he says, okay, now how many of you want to be baptized? And 3,000 people say, I want to be baptized. You see right there that Peter is called to be an evangelist. Because when he speaks, he convinces people, and people respond to him. And they say, yeah, me too. I want in. I want it. And so he, you see, this is a very specific gift where they're able to communicate the gospel in relevant, compelling terms to people who are not Christians. Now, this is a special gift that God gives to the church. So in our lifetime, if you think back in our lifetime and you look at, you know, look at the church, uh, the broader church, not just our church, but you look at the broader church, you think of someone like uh, Dr. Billy Graham, right? I don't know if you ever watched a Billy Graham crusade on television or whatever, but, you know, he'd get up there and he'd just talk pretty plainly. He didn't, he didn't try to twist people's arm. He didn't try to trick them. You know, there was no special funny sales tactic or something like that. At the end of his message, he'd say, now, if you'd like to come, if you'd like to receive Jesus, just come forward. And it's, all of a sudden, the stadium would start moving and people would just start coming forward. Because see, God gave him a, a special gift, a special calling, and he was called to be an evangelist. Now you say, okay, well, that's good. Good thing God gave people God gave the church evangelists because I don't like talking about my faith to anybody, so I'll leave that to the Billy Grahams of the world. But that's not the same thing. You see, that's not the same thing. God gives the evangelists to the church, but he calls all of us to evangelism. He calls all of us to be a witness for who Jesus is in our own way and in our own, in our own place. God calls us all. So this might be a tool that we carry around and it's like, you know, it's like, it's like the hammer. You can, have a, you can have a little hammer, right, that you tack in little tacks with. You can have a little bit of evangelism in your, in your toolbox. Or you can Billy, be a Billy Graham and you can have like a big sledgehammer of evangelism. The important thing is that we use the tool that God gives us for the thing that he calls us to do. So we, God doesn't expect us to do necessarily what Billy Graham does, but he does expect us to do what he's called us to do, and each one of us is called to be a witness. So evangelists are giving to, give, are gifts given to the church to proclaim the good news and lead people to Christ. And then there's pastors and teachers, and generally when we talk about pastors and teachers, we put them together because they kind of have a very similar function and oftentimes go together. I guess you could be a pastor and not be a teacher in modern terms, but you I don't know if you really have a church that would fit you because, you know, you can, you can pastor people, you can teach people. Generally, they go hand in hand together, right? Pastors and teachers. These people are designed to maintain the life of the body, to feed it, to cleanse it, and to maintain its life of vigor and vitality. Jesus said, go feed the sheep. How do you feed the sheep? You feed the sheep by taking what the prophets, what the apostles, what the evangelists say, and you bring it down and to all the people. You teach everybody. You use the, the ministry gifts of the others, and you take that, you dissect it, and you pass it out, and you help others with that ministry. So you stay, oftentimes pastors and teachers will stay in one place for a long period of time. Uh, Someone like Paul in the, in the New Testament, he'd move around. Billy Graham, he'd be in one city one week and be in the next city two weeks later. He'd be all over the place, right? But he would, he would call all the pastors together in that community and he'd say, now after I'm gone, you need to do all the work of pastoring all these new converts. 
And so there'd be a lot of work that would be done in, in communities when an evangelist would come. So the pastors and teachers do the work on the ground following what God has called the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists to do. And as pastors, we really look to Jesus as our role model because Jesus really had that ministry of being a pastor teacher. If you look at Jesus' role on earth, he had a lot of other things going on, but when you really look at it, he, the way he worked with people was to pastor them and to teach them. And we can look to Jesus and, and, and we can follow him. Jesus said, you know, uh, go feed my sheep, but Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. So we're kind of under shepherds under Jesus as the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And so we kind of follow his lead. And Jesus said this about his ministry. When Jesus was describing his ministry ahead of, of, of starting out, he said he took, a, he took a word from the prophet Isaiah. So he took a word from a prophet and he applied it to himself. He said, this is, this is what the Lord has called me to do. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release them from dark release from darkness for those who are prisoners. Very much like what Norm was saying earlier on. God calls us to go and to be his hands and his feet. We all have a role to play in that. But some of us are called in a ministerial capacity to lead a flock of people, a group of people. And God gives us abilities and talents and, and a certain um, uh, anointing to do the work that he calls us to do. So Paul says these are the gifts that Christ has given to the church. He's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so when we look at the church and we look at, you know, we look at uh, how the church operates in the world, we, we have to recognize that there's a variety. And in the leadership of our church, whether it be those of us who are professionals, paid leaders in the church, or those who take leadership positions in the church on our our board of deacons or as our elders or in staff roles or in different leadership roles within the church, we understand God has called and given people leadership gifts within the church. And we need to, we need to honor that in that we have to recognize and support and submit and do all of those things. Not that they are the chiefs and the bosses, but we just recognize that God has given a gift to those people and called them to do that. We need to have an appreciation for those ministry gifts now, I don't know how many of you think you might be able to do a better job coming up here on Sunday morning and speaking instead of me. Some of you might really be able to do that better. But maybe, maybe you're called to do that somewhere. Maybe you're not. But when we, when we have that calling on our life, we know that this is what God has called us to do. He equips us to do that. And so we need to be thankful. I need to be thankful that, uh, that you know, God has given Pastor Nate certain gifts and Pastor Michael certain gifts, and we work together as a team. We don't try to overlap our gifts. We don't compete with one another, but we honor one another in the work that God has called us to do. That's what we do in the context of ministry. And we need to recognize those gifts of leadership. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for those who are in authority over us or who are working over us. This is, these are the ministry gifts, the, the five gifts that God has given to the church that Paul talks about. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're going to talk more about that in our small groups this week. So, uh, like I said earlier, if you haven't joined a group yet, you can still get in on a group. And here's another thing that's coming up for you, and I just want to let you know about this. Because we're going to be talking about these lists of gifts, these gifts of these ministry gifts, the gifts of manifestation, the gifts of motivation, we're going to be talking next week about the motivational gifts and then the following week about the, the, the gifts of ministry. And you may think, oh, where do I fit in on all this? These terms are things that I don't really know. Do, do I have these gifts? Do I, where do I fit into this? So we're going to offer free uh, personal spiritual gifts clinics um, a couple times. We're going to, you can sign up for these clinics. Um, Diana Warren is going to be leading these. She's been doing these for many, many years. And uh, you can RSVP on the connection card or online or at the Next Steps desk. And you can either come on Tuesday, February 25th from 6.30 to 9.30 or Saturday, February 29th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And so here's the description of what we're going to do in these clinics. God has given each of us a motivational spiritual gifts that shape our personalities, passions, and abilities in order to serve God and be a blessing to others. 
This teaching and discovery process will help you to understand yourself better and give you the confidence to step into your God-given and unique place within the body of Christ. The result is joy. It will also help you to recognize and understand the unique gifting of your family members and friends resulting in healthier, richer relationships. So if you want to kind of get more personal about what your specific gifts are, through a, a testing process, through a learning process, and through a discussion process, then I encourage you to sign up for this because some of these gifts, they're, they're different than what you may be thinking about. And so we're going to be un, un, kind of uh, giving introductory um, to these gifts over the next three weeks, today, next week, and the following week. Um, and, but in this clinic, you'll be able to get kind of deep down in your own life and understanding what God has called you to do specifically and what he's uniquely empowered you to do uh, or called you to do um, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have not just kind of set things in motion and just let it go. But Lord, you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a way that you are at work in the world to bring your kingdom to its fullness and into its reality of restoration and renewal here on this earth. And Lord, we want to be part of that. We thank you, Lord, specifically today for the gifts of leadership that you give to the church. Thank you, Lord, for those who have who serve as leaders in our own church here at Parkway Church, Lord. Thank you for those who are staff and for board members and for, for elders and people that are, have taken on responsibility for the future and the, the, the work of this church. We thank you, Lord, for those that you've gifted and called in those specific areas. We also thank you, Lord, that there's something for every one of us to do. And I pray, Lord, as we just unfold this over the next few weeks and as Diana leads this clinic, Lord, for people to be able to discover their, their particular set of gifts, I pray, Lord, that this would be a time of blessing and a time of understanding and a time of empowering and calling each one of us, Lord, to the place that you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we can be inspired by even Norm's testimony this morning and his, his passion and, Lord, how you've used him and how you've called him now into something new. Thank you, Lord, for that inspiration. We just pray that each one of us would be encouraged today by the word we have heard, that you have called, you've equipped your church to do the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.